All right, everybody. Thank you uh, for joining us on this live webinar uh, with Steve Rozart. Uh, really appreciate you being on here, Steve, uh, and talk referee philosophy and how referees approach the game. Uh, just a quick uh, resume on uh, Mr. Rozart here. Uh, he was a FINA referee for 16 years. Uh, he has done 28 NC2A championship finals or NC2A championship tournaments. Um, and he was a 2012 Olympic referee. He's done world championships, uh, FINA World Cup game. So obviously you're at the top of your game, one of the best referees, not in, just in our country, but in the world. So I'm really curious uh, about this referee philosophy, the approach to the game, but also just a little background. I mean, you and I have been talking, you know, texting and, you know, pleasantries on yeah. the pool deck and everything, which has been great, um, getting to know you a little bit better. You know, you were, I'm assuming this sort of became influenced off of the podcast for the advantage rule. I think that was when we really started nailing this part down. That really um, triggered, that really triggered something. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad that whether it's positive or negative, um, I'm glad that the conversations out there and, and that you're able to come in at, from your level of refereeing and your experience to be able to shed a little light on, uh, what you guys see, you girls see on, on your side of things. So thank you for being here and making the time and the floor is yours. So uh, go ahead. Well, thank you so much for having me. I think that, um, you know, the, the ref, the sport of water polo as a whole is, is an amazing sport. But what's interesting is that it's not really a sport you can conduct without referees. You can't call your own fouls. You can't, you can't, participate in a game. And, and so the referees become an integral part. And what's been interesting, and I think the reason I really wanted to talk about philosophy, there were some things that happened in the past 12 months and, and going to different tournaments at the collegiate level and even an age group level and talking with referees. And these are referees that are, are from all experience levels from one to two years refing, and they could be refing five to 10 years, some of them even more. I've been officiating almost 22 years now, 23 years. Um, and so the, the range of experience is pretty wide. What was interesting is that every time when, when I came up through the ranks of a referee, I was exposed to some elite level referees. Some of them were still officiating. Some have moved on in a different capacity. Some of them are not even um, with us any longer. But one thing I think that we've lost is that as we have seen our sport develop, and we have seen referees either retire or move on to different capacities, the knowledge that they had really didn't get to filter down to referees that were coming up in the ranks. And an evaluation type relationship isn't the same as me being your peer on the pool deck, okay? Uh, it's much like when we're, we're talking right now, this is a different relationship than when you're coaching. And that same environment happens when you have referees that have moved on to different capacities and then are working with referees from an evaluation perspective. What we've lost is a philosophy. And obviously, I, I, I tune into your podcast. It's fantastic. Thank you for doing what you're doing and, and getting the message out there for our sport and just having discussions. And I think where we lose is, is we've lost the opportunity as referees to have discussions. We don't sit in a room. We don't talk shop. We don't have off the deck to actually talk shop. We, and we need to do that. And what I noticed in the past year is that there's a wide range of philosophy of the game. And 
philosophy is kind of an open-ended thing because you can have your philosophy about the rules. You can have your philosophy about center. You can have your philosophy about six on five, your philosophy about counterattack. And these are all facets of the game that really mold what the referee is thinking at any given time and why that becomes important. And, and I even happened to read an article the other day that's fairly prevalent. Um, and I will give credit to CB Water Polo for, for putting information out there. And one of the topics was philosophies and that, that maybe that shouldn't be part of, of a referee's curriculum. My argument to that, if it is an argument is though, is that you as a coach have a philosophy of how you want your players to play. And you ingrain that into your player and you're molding them to be the player you want them to be positive or negative. You're, you're asking that athlete to do something. I think at the referee level, the philosophy portion is part of that. And where we lost that connect was when everyone kind of retired or moved on, we lost the connect to bring that information at a very, very concentrated level to referees coming up in the ranks. And I see it at the NCAA level. I see it at the FINA level because there are some FINA referees that, and, and it's, it's smaller at the FINA level just because there's an organization, World Water Polo Referees Association. I am affiliated. I am a board member. They do a very good job of outreach and, and, and trying to get everybody on the same page. They send referees from all over the world to different events to make sure that they can do that outreach. But at the same time, we need to matriculate that same type of information domestically. Right now, we have a geographic issue. And I think the pandemic has provided an avenue that now we have to refocus. We have to relook at what we're doing and how we spread the message of our sport, not only from a, a club level, from um, uh, an athlete level, but also at a referee level. And, and I know there's been different podcasts going on as far as, as um, you know, referee curriculum. But what's not happening is these deep discussions as to what happens. And philosophy is an interesting thing because if you don't mold a philosophy as a referee, you aren't thinking ahead of what the potential outcome could be. And this kind of ties back, Steve, into where we kind of originally kicked this off was we got really deep into a massive amount of texting over this Advantage podcast. <laughs> and what's interesting is I, I, full disclosure, I have spoken to James Graham since that podcast, personally, okay? Um, and I actually agree with a lot of what he's saying. The issue that arises is that his argument isn't based on the advantage rule itself. It's actually the argument of how, how do you get a referee to actually all think the same? What happens at one end happens at another end. Hmm. Player turns inside, the call's the same. And he's correct. He's correct on a lot of fronts because there's a large discrepancy. And this is kind of what I come back to philosophically. And I think that we need to do a better job in molding that. This past 12 months, I've talked to referees. I would engage in conversations. I said, hey, what's your philosophy with regards to six on five? What are you talking about? Well, I'll give you an example, okay? There was a rule of thumb at one time, if you had a, a six on five opportunity, and the philosophy was that you are the attacking team you had your chance to shoot. The referee's probably not looking for an additional opportunity to give you the ball back. That's a philosophy. You had an opportunity to play six on five offense. If you did not execute it correctly, the referee is not looking for another advantage for the same team. Anyway, 
that's just a, a minor example. So can I can I ask you a quick question? Go ahead. Just just because I, I know this is kind of a learning, uh, not learning, but um, evolving sort of conversation. So can you give me an example besides that six on five example of a referee having a philosophy when they approach the overall game? Sure. So I'll take myself for an example because it's the yeah. easiest part. Okay. Um, I probably watch more game film than any referee in the United States. I would put my resume on that. And why I say that is because if I have a big game coming up and I've only refereed one tournament, um, prime example for me would be men's season. I would referee the UCSD tournament, but I hadn't seen any teams in Northern California yet. Well, what am I doing? I'm logging in and trying to get game film of Cal, Stanford, uh, Davis, somebody that I haven't seen that is traveling south that I'm going to be exposed to. What are their assets this year? What, are, what can I expect? How does, how does their center play? Do they have a left-handed center? These are things that as a referee, philosophically, I'm preparing myself for. Okay. Now, that might be overkill, but that's me. That's how I prepare for a game. Not every referee is doing that. Now, you're not doing this for a 12 and under age group game. I understand that. But this is a big game that you're showing up for, a one-off. And you want to make sure that you, as the referee, put your best product on the pool deck. Philosophically, when I arrive, it's business. Okay. Steve, you and I have a relationship off the deck, yeah. but on the deck, we are a coach referee relationship. Mm -hmm. And that dynamic changes. And some referees have a really hard time with that. Some referees want that acceptance. Some, all, some referees have a gray area where, hey, you know, we, we just had a great conversation in the parking lot. How come you're yelling at me now? And take it personal. Yeah. And you can't take anything personal. This is game time. This is business. And I have never taken anything personal. And when the buzzer sounds at the end of the fourth quarter, that's it. I'm walking off the deck. Whatever happened, what was said during the game stays during the game. Nothing gets taken off the deck, for lack of a better term. Yeah. So I, I think that philosophy that I arrived to with the pool deck is as, as follows. You know, let's say that I have, I don't know, three, 4,000 games underneath my my uh, my belt on top of that I have certain expectations of how I want the game to be ran I arrive to the pool deck early okay minimum 30 minutes if I can all right second thing I want to know what the table is who's working the table is the course set up correctly philosophically I'm doing this because I want to make sure everything is where I want it to be at the time that the game starts the next thing and one of the most important things is team benches I don't think referees concentrate enough on the location of team benches. How often do you see them right at the goal line? And by the time the coach stands up while they're on defense, they're still at two or five meters. Push those benches back, you know, make sure that you have your room to operate as a referee. So there's a lot philosophically that goes in before the ball even drops. Okay. Now, before I arrive to the pool deck, I've usually driven to the game or something of that nature. I have already prepared myself of how I want the game to look mentally. I want the game to go. I don't want it to be physical. I'm expecting them to play the ball. I'm expecting them to swim. I'm, I'm expecting these, th these things mentally so that when I arrive and I see something different, I'm, my reaction time is already in place. I'm ready because it is something different than I've prepared myself for. Yeah. At the same time, mentally, you've prepared yourself as a referee for sequence of events that can happen as the offense starts to execute. So now the game starts, things are happening, teams are running, 
and maybe they're running a different defense than you expected, things of that nature. Well, you mentally also have to adjust. Philosophically, I've already prepared for that. I'm expecting them to run a zone instead of a, a drop, or a, excuse me, instead of a press, okay? I'm, they, I've expected them to you know, shoot out of center. There's been a lot of talk about center position and things of that nature. Well, this team's not doing that. The center's a passer. Okay, how have I adjusted my game philosophically as the game starts to develop? But what I have not changed are my basics. My basics that I officiate based on possession, position, and probable goal situations. And, if, if, and that's, that was taught at me at a very young age, the three Ps of water polo. Who has the ball? Where is the position of the ball in relative athlete? And what's the probable goal situation? Mm-hmm. And this goes back to, okay, advantage to a certain degree and the levels of advantage. Levels of advantage operate in a pyramid-type scheme, all right? As the pyramid grows, you know, um, it, it starts with possession and goes to a point of probable goal. So we're narrowing that point. But I think that there was so much prep before I arrived, there's nothing that could really surprise me. Um, there was a lot of talk this year. I had one game this year during the men's collegiate season that, that took what I would call a crazy Ivan, right? A game that, that changed. There was, but you could feel it as a referee when you arrived that something was already different. And no matter how much I prepared myself prior to arriving, There were outside influences that can happen on any given game. And you should know as a referee what those things are. And I didn't find those out until I arrived to the pool deck. I got there early. I was told of circumstances that had existed. And that increases the level of not only sensitivity of the game, but it can also increase the level of aggressiveness of of how teams react to each other. And as a referee, you're always trying to run a game and trying to get 110% out of an athlete. You want the athlete to do the best that they can. But at the same time, we come back to that Advantage podcast. This is the disconnect amongst the referee core right now. What I expect out of an athlete is not what somebody else expects out of an athlete. Yeah. I would put my resume on the line that I have better judgment based on what the athlete could execute as compared to another referee. And then the other referee's argument's gonna be, well, advantage. I was playing advantage and so therefore it was lost. I am a fan of probably a delayed call. I don't know about a delayed exclusion, definitely delayed penalty. And I think the reason is, is because we have gotten to this point, especially in the, under the new rules, right? Where you can foul while still holding the ball. Now we could just call it and just be done with it. But yeah. if you, if we had the opportunity of a delayed call, we would still have the opportunity as a referee to allow the player to finish or attempt to finish and still come back and call it. So those are opportunities I think that, that we'll have to open up in the future as, as the game starts to develop. But philosophically for me as a, as a referee, when I approach the game, there's so much mentally that I've already played out in my head of how I want it to look. And whether it be a one game, you know, a, a, an NCAA final match or the 12 and unders first round of junior Olympics, right? There's a lot of emotion on those games, but I want it to look a certain way. And if it's not going the way I want it, I have calls within the rule book that allow me to do that. Can I, I do think can I, referees are, go ahead. Can I interrupt for just one second? There was one point that you made that I wanted to just ask you because I haven't, I was certified as a referee a while ago and I would suggest every coach become certified as a referee and referee a tournament a year just to 
just to be in those shoes. I think that's an important thing. And I used to do that. Um, when you say, you know, you have a certain way you want the game to go. So you have like sort mm-hmm. of ground rules of how you want the game to play out. Is that mentality? Cause I think that's a really valuable mentality. Is that mentality taught at the referee certification level? Like, Hey, this is the quote unquote workflow. Like you're saying, I get to the game this time. I check this, I check that, you know, is that something that is written down and handed off to every referee or are you just doing that off your levels of experience? I would say that that is matriculated in a very basic format. Hey, you know, your whites need to be pressed. You need to have white shoes, look the part, arrive early, look professional, introduce yourself to each coach. I would say the basics where we have not taken this part of the referee philosophy to the next two, three or four levels is getting deeper, getting deeper into, Hey, okay. I looked apart. Now what, what, what mentally are you going through while you go through a game? There's always a saying, right? What's the best water polo game ever? The one you can't remember the referees. Yeah. How, how do you become that referee? You know, How do you become that referee that does your job based on judgment and get forgotten about? And that's a hard thing to balance because we have a lot of pressure on us, um, you know, at the collegiate level, even at the club level, there are coaches salaries at risk for types of behavior, different things like that. And and you're still trying to do your job and, and judge what's going on. I think the issue that, that truly we have is, you know, if, if we got specific with regards to where we need, if referees were graded harder just on technical, technical issues. And I really don't think that that can be done. I, I've played this in my head a number of times, and I don't think it can be done live time. And I don't think it can be done by a person on the pool deck at the same time. And the reason is, Water polo is, is, is such a momentum sport. A, a team can totally pick up momentum, and next thing you know, it, it changes the dynamic of the game, right? Well, if you have an evaluator on the pool deck, that evaluator sees and senses that. It's a, it's a, you can feel it. You can feel the entire environment change. What if we just graded referees by video? There's no feeling. There's no nothing. It's total third party, Right. They have no emotion of what happened during the game. They're just looking at X's and O's and saying, okay, well, Steve Rozart did this, did this, did this. And we got so finite with video that Steve Rozart, had he called an ordinary foul one half second before, would have made such a difference in this offensive sequence. I think that's where officiating needs to go. Now, are we way behind that? Absolutely. Well, I mean, and and I can tell you right now that a lot of the conversation, this is so, this is, such an important conversation, right? I'm so stoked that we're doing this right now because one of the things that we talk about as coaches is I have to coach this game, the referee referees. And a lot of us feel like the referees just detach. They're done with the game. They're out of there, you know, and, and that's it. Yeah. I remember when I was at Concordia and we were playing at the SoCal tournament after every game, there was an evaluation to the referees that were there before they got to do the next game. Um, and that was something new for me. I'd never seen that before, or maybe it was every two games or something like that. 
uh, it made me feel better as a coach knowing that they were being held accountable. It seems like we've lost a little bit of that. And the professionalism that you are bringing in just as a personal level, on a personal level, seems to be the professionalism that needs to be the standard rather than the exception. And I, but I think that we need to help referees with that. Definitely. You know, it's not, I don't blame the referees. I mean, we have a huge gap in, in, in let's, let's take the whole picture, right? We can go from NCAA all the way down to age group. There's a massive amount of games and not enough referees, right? And so regardless of the skill set of the referee, the referee could be assigned a game that might be above their, uh, above their skill set level and be forced into a situation based on a numbers situation. That's not, the, that's not the referee's fault, but I can guarantee you that coach will sense it because the, the coaches at the age group level have a lot of experience and it is difficult for referees to continue in the officiating realm when you're exposed to things like that. Now, can we change it? I mean, my kids have played club sports. I mean, we've done AYSO. There was no talk Saturdays. Once a year. No one could say a word. Not even the coaches. Only the players could talk to each other on the field. And that was it. Right? Now, I am I a emotional parent because my kids play athletics? Absolutely. And usually, it's on the sides of player safety. And I think where we have gotten, and, and I would love, I would love a coach's opinion of this because obviously I have my own reputation uh, as a referee and some of it might be good. Some of it might be bad and I'm okay with that. But one thing that I would like to say as an individual is that I really have taken pride in as the game has developed, I've still always been a student. I've never been a coach. Never. I have always refereed. So I don't know any different, but I am here to be a student of the game and tactics change every single year. Tactics change of certain teams every year. Hey, I don't have a center this year. We're going to run this. Our whole game is going to be counterattack. Whatever the, the game plan is for your team that year. But as rules kind of get modified and philosophies change based on, let's say, coach pressure of how the game should be called. Because at the NCAA level, really, the rule book is, is dictated by a committee. And that committee is, is looking on things. And, and I really didn't understand it until I, th- I think it was Matt Anderson when I, I sat on the rules committee for a, a six-year time frame and Matt Anderson said something really good that even though these rules are for the most elite championship level game all throughout the United States we have kids playing water polo that are not going to play in the NCAA finals yeah and 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 then they're in their own division and maybe they're NAIA and maybe they're this and maybe they're that and those rules have to be taken into consideration for all those athletes, not just the ones playing in the final. And that really hit home with me because I think the same part of that comes into officiating. You know, uh, for example, if I as a referee no call something, but the team has now had to adjust their defense, they were in a press, but because I no called something, now they had to go to a zone. Well, that's my fault. I allowed an offensive foul to continue and it forced a team to adjust their defense. And, and that was taught to me about eight years ago. And I, I really made a conscious effort to really analyze what I call a no call. 
because if I'm forcing a defensive team or an offensive team for that matter to play differently because of, of what I didn't call, I think you have to, you have to take recognition of that. Yeah. And I think those are the things that we as referees from the top to the bottom really need to get tighter. A prime example, this I'll finish it on this point. Prime example was men's NCAA season. Okay. I did not officiate the SoCal tournament. I watched from the stands at UCLA. I watched 16 games from the top level of the parking lot. I documented 48 differences just in penalty fouls amongst all the referees in those 16 games, 48 differences, how far you had to turn, how far were you inside, where you were positioned inside the five meter line, how far you were outside the post, when they would call it 48 differences. So you're talking about the top, let's say 16 referees. I think we're at that tournament and there's 48 differences just on penalty fouls. And now you're asking us domestically to bring everybody together. So we really have to, to focus and, and really disseminate the information. And that's really why I hit you up. It's like, yeah. hey, would, is this okay? Is this okay from a referee's perspective to get this information out there? Because we need to share information. Let's just have a conversation. We might not all agree. I, get, I got information from other referees. I didn't take it and use it, but I might've taken parts of it and used it because it worked for my game. You know, it's, what's, what's really interesting is that it almost sounds like you are on the side of, not the, okay, the side is the wrong way to put it, but <laughs> you're, you want referees to be held accountable in, because I would imagine that there's a lot of talk about like what we were talking about pre-starting this, which yeah. moving up the ranks, you know, like kind of bias in the, the movement of referees. And so I think what you're saying, I would almost guess that 90% of the people who are listening and 90% you know, percent of the people who are going to listen to this later are going to say, I agree with you. You know, I agree with you 100%. Right. Um, let me, if I could, let me get into some of these questions sure. because I've been looking at them. Some really prominent coaches uh, and, and referees on here and I, I want to make sure that they get their voices heard here. So Karen Crawford, uh, San Diego state. Um, she writes, she's curious about the conversation about the advantage role and what you think about the advantage role. Full disclosure. She loves the advantage role philosophically. I think it's the best, uh, overarching way to referee our sport. I just wish it was a, were applied more consistently. So what is your thought about the advantage role and how it's being applied? So I think Karen hits a, a really important point. The spectrum of the advantage rule is too broad, okay? Um, and one of the things, for example, okay, referees play advantage. If I'm under the new rules, it's different. We actually have some luxury. Under the old rules, if you were held sinker pulled back outside five, the ref, and, and the referee felt that there was an opportunity to get you inside the five-meter line, the referee would wait because the highest probability that we have, the highest level advantage that we have in our rule book is a penalty foul. That is the highest. Okay. Now along that same thought, my philosophy, those should not be given out by like candy because that is the highest level of advantage we have. Now we've, we've heard podcasts comparing ourselves to soccer and things like that. I don't need to get into the specifics, but what I am telling you is, look at our sport 
And if our sports highest level of advantage is a penalty foul, then let's make sure that we're all on the same page that the penalty fouls all look the same. Okay. And if a referee's playing advantage and you have a hold sink or pullback outside five an advantage is taken into consideration. I do believe that the referee, in my opinion, should somehow try to communicate not only to the pool deck, but to the coach. We don't have flags anymore. And I took actually in my uh, resume, I've, I've actually started to use a little bit of a, of a soccer official's uh, hand signals, okay? Especially in transition, all right? Because we would always have guys get mixed up in the backcourt. And then I would take two hands and point down the pool going, hey, I'm playing advantage. The ball is ahead of you. I'm playing advantage. I'm ignoring you for right now. And I think that the referees need to communicate that better, not only to the stands, to the coaches, especially because the coaches, if at least they can see that you have acknowledged it, that they, you see what they see, immediately it diffuses the situation. Yeah. You know, right. nonverbal communication in our sport is fantastic. It, it is an amazing, amazing thing. But Karen hits on a really good point that somehow we as referees need to get tighter on advantage and tighter in, a, in, in the sense that we need to be more consistent with what is advantage, you know, had a conversation with James Graham the other day. Um, if we remove the advantage rule from the rule book, does that mean every pass in a center is an exclusion foul, whether or not his back is to the cage as a center? I don't know. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's conversations that we can start that are like that. I 100% will sit here and tell you, and I would tell every referee in the United States that's up and coming, I believe our game is undercalled. I, I personally believe our game is undercalled. Well, but I also am a referee that believes that I do not want to create offense for you. And the conversations that we need to have with coaches and, and James is, is, is a coach that believes in this. You know, if you're on offense, Steve, and, and your offensive player is pinned up against a lane line with the ball and you have a 45 drive on the opposite side and that guy gets held, you're yelling at me for the pullback. But in reality, your team's not in position to play offense. These are conversations that we need to have because the referees are taught to ignore the referees are taught to ignore because there's not team advantage at that point. Now, if your player was in position to play the ball and be an integral part in the offense and that foul takes place on the opposite side. Okay. Yes. Now let's have a conversation. Yeah. yeah. But these, these are the things that really need to tighten up the issue that we have too within the referee core. And this goes back to Karen's point. Referees confuse advantage with conduct. I believe personally that domestically we don't punish athletes severely enough for the fouls that are taking place or the fouls in the new rule book under the new rules, it will be much easier for a referee, but under the old rules, it was very difficult for a player to uh, for a referee to deal with a player that was a, a very excessive hard foul probably is definitely more than a 22nd okay yeah. but we have referees that are very fearful of making that big of a call yeah okay on multiple levels from age group all the way to ncaa however i think as a community if we supported the referees in making calls like that 
to where, hey, a, a, a hard foul that had no intent to play the ball, which was way over aggressive, and the, the NCAA rules could be a minor act of misconduct. I have seen that, but I've seen some of those that should just be straight out misconduct calls. Yeah. You know, yeah. and there is a fear factor. There's a fear. There's a there fear, is a factor, fear factor, factor because why? No, because I mean, why? I, as a referee, could, you know, A, now you're mad at me as a coach. At the collegiate level, you have a decision factor at the end of the year to rank me of whether yeah. or not I get invited to your conference championships. And that's the same thing with high school in of terms that, of CIF. You know, like I get same, to, I get to blackball referees if I don't like them, you know. And I, I have right. friends of mine that I just say, you know what, this isn't a good fit for who I might be seeing in the semifinal. Right. That's literally been a consideration of mine. I mean, I hate to say that, yeah. but it's true. You know, like I don't like the way they call it doesn't fit the opponent that I might be playing in this next round, you know? So that fear factor is, it's, it's an issue. I'm going to get to one, um, another question because uh, I saw from Mark Rue, uh, Mount Sac, who's been coaching for a really long time. Um, and we, him and I have a personal relationship. We've talked so many times about refereeing. Um, when an official has an idea of how they want the game to go, are officials subconsciously pre-designing uh, pre the outcome of the game? Team A is stronger, um, B is not. I assume you are referring to the flow, but you know that kind of thing. So that's a, that's a great question. I mean, how do it you- It is a great question. And I think officials get accused of this all too often. And I think as a coach, you have to understand that if you attack a referee's integrity, uh, you better watch out. Yeah. Okay. And, and that's, and I'm being completely honest with you. When you attack a referee's integrity, now you've questioned everything that I do and everything that I stand for as I come to this pool deck. If you question that I have predetermined the outcome of this game, I take that as a personal attack. Yeah. For me, I'd probably red card you personally, because now you've crossed the line in my opinion. Mark, I think that, that you bring a good question, but I think the preconceived notions that a referee prepares themselves for is a style of play and how they want it to look so that if the game is being played in an incorrect manner, and what I mean by that is it's, it's more physical than what the referee mentally prepared themselves for. They're prepared to make the calls appropriate to be able to bring the game back into, let's say, a, a standard state of play. However, I, do, I have never met in my lifetime a referee that feels that the outcome was predetermined when they have arrived. And <clears throat> I can honestly tell you, it, I say this because it happened to me personally, very young in my career. I had been refing about five years, three to five years, somewhere in that range. It was an NCAA game. And that year, one, one team was really dominant and showed up to play another team. And it was tied with a minute 30 left in the game. Mentally, I had not prepared myself because I had prepared myself for a lopsided game. And I have since changed my mentality, my mentality, mentality totally to on any given day. On any given day, Someone can beat somebody. And as a referee, you have to show up knowing that because the players expect it from you. The coaches expect it from you. The institutions expect it from you. And not only the fans, and it's to give the best product because 
that day, a long time ago, I had underprepared thinking that this was going to be a lopsided game and it caught me off guard. Whether my calls were consistent or not, I don't, I don't know. It's been a long time since I've reviewed that game. But I do remember the fact that mentally, I did not prepare myself correctly. And I never have done it since because of that. And it, it you know, lesson learned. Steve, you're on mute. The, the one thing that I hear a lot in terms of that pre-determining you know, of, yes. of a, of a call of an outcome of an outcome is that certain coaches get more rope than others. Oh. That's the most consistent one that I've heard, but that, that's okay. I, I'm, well, let's not take a that a step further. Let's, wait, let's touch on it for a second. Let's, let's, let, 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 let's get back. Let's get back. Cause I want to okay. make sure that these guys are getting, uh, I mean, I got, like I said, I got some good questions here. Sergio Macias, you're, you know, somebody I'm I sure you've him. partnered with. Um, how much time do you spend with your partner before a game to discuss philosophy? What are the main topics you go over with your partner? And for those of you who don't know Sergio, Sergio is a, one of the top level referees in our area, um, in the LA area in Orange County. He's done CIF finals, CIF semifinals here. I'm sure he's doing collegiate games. He's also a community college coach. So he's coming at it from several different angles. Yeah, several angles. So Sergio is going to stick this to me because I've actually officiated with Sergio. So I don't talk philosophy to a referee before a game. It is the worst thing to do. Worst thing. When I go, let's say you're, you know, a fairly new referee. I show up. Um, the baggage I come with to the pool deck, people already know usually as a referee, they've heard stories about me. Oh, Steve's going to cheer your head off. Oh, Steve's going to dominate the game. Steve will do this. I've heard everything under the sun. I'm not immune to it. But the one thing I think, Sergio, that as, as a referee, that's a really inappropriate time to talk philosophy or anything like that. If you want to talk about something specific, maybe a little bit of water coverage, that's about it. After that, you, we are required as referees to feed off of our partners. And you have to gauge as a referee what your partner is officiating because we have to balance the pool. We have to make it look right. And I think that's one of the philosophical things that we've missed on. We have referees that think that the half distance line separates two worlds, right? Okay, my world's down here because I'm the attack referee and your world's over there because you're the attack referee. No, 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 no. We are, we are a pair to make this entire arena of water polo look correct. And we have to feed off of each other and make it look the best we can make it. And I have to take into your, to account your philosophy and maybe I have to tweak some of my things that I had set myself up for mentally, but because of the way you're calling the game, I'm going to have to adjust just a tad bit to make sure that we're more in alignment so that the four quarters and the teams get a fair game. Because if I'm calling something that's really out of whack, that's not really fair. Now, the argument to that is going to be, oh, well, they're going to have you as a referee in the front court for two quarters. Yeah, but there's four quarters in this game. You know, even though you have me as an attack referee for two quarters, that doesn't really balance everything out. Yeah. yeah. So I try not to talk about philosophy. You can't have do. balance if every situation is different. It's impossible. That's yeah. right. It's, it's just very difficult. Um, but I think that um, I, I don't like to talk too much personally. I, what I really do before a game, though, 
I just have a simple conversation because I want to see your nervousness. How nervous are you? Yeah. I, I, I want to know, like, are you pacing? Are you this? You know, are you, are you talking a lot? And some referees, they get nervous and talk a lot. Some referees, you know, don't talk at all. So I'm gauging your body language. I have the luxury to be in sales. So we feed off of body language and, you know, I, I believe in the disc profile as well. I'm analyzing you. I'm, I'm seeing how, how is my partner before this game? You know, did something happen before you got to the pool deck? It did something happen at home or during the week? Where are you in a mental state so that I know how we're starting the game? That is a big deal. I think more than anything, because once a game starts, if you're not mentally focused as your partner, I have to be ready to help you. Yeah. And I have to be ready to pick up the pieces and move on with the game and make it look great because we're a partner. We're pair for one hour for four yeah. quarters. And you know what? I mean, referees have bad games. Coaches have yeah. bad Players have bad games. Things happen, you know. So I think that's a – We're that's human. A, yeah, exactly. It's a really good question by Sergio. Ian Davidson um, has a couple questions. I think this one's really important. So – he starts off by saying understanding the other team and being able to adjust is crucial information. And that was referring to uh, you watching video on your, right. on the teams that you're going to referee. How do you balance calling, but not helping based on what you know the teams will be doing or try to do? How do you balance that? So a couple different things. A, you have to be recognizing as a referee, what the offense is trying to execute. Okay. So, like we talked about in the beginning, there's the three P's of water polo of officiating, possession, position, probable goal. What is the offense trying to execute? Be conscious of it. Are they trying to move the ball to a wing? Are they trying to enter the ball from there? Are they trying to play center type offense? Is it just motion? Are they just running continuum motion with no set? You have to be aware of the offense that they're trying to execute. Second part of that, you have to be aware of the defense, okay? prime example is everybody wants to talk about the the Japanese press okay well that's intentionally playing out of the lane intentionally as a referee you have to know that so don't overreact when you see a player intentionally out of the lane so be conscious of the styles of offense and defense that are being ran so that you can understand there's a lot of arguments like I mean after a game is over a team ran a zone the whole game and the other team ran a press and the ejection ratio is out of balance. And then you hear a coach, well, look at the ejection ratio. No wonder we lost. Well, okay, let's look at the specifics of the game plan. Yeah. This team ran a zone the whole time. You ran a press. Of course, there's going to be a discrepancy. But those types of things to a newer referee probably don't come to the forefront right away. They're going to look the ejection board and probably start looking internally going, okay, what, what did I mess up on? Did mm -hmm. I not see something? Instead of reanalyzing the game going, oh, wait, coach, hold on. You ran a zone. You ran a press. Of course, there's going to be a discrepancy. And that just comes with time, you know. But, yes, as a referee, you have to be conscious of the offense and what they're trying to execute. But you have to be conscious of the defense and, and what they're doing to counteract what the offense is executing. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to get to another one here. Uh, this is from an anonymous uh, attendee. Uh, one of the biggest parts of our sport is the difference in the philosophy from referee to referee. Do you think this is a good part of our sport or should we be looking to have a general philosophy that allows for a bit more consistency from ref to ref? No, it's got to be tight and tighter. 
And, and I see that right now. I see that as a parent. I see it as a referee. I, I've gone to junior Olympics as a, as a parent. And the discrepancy amongst the referees is way too broad. We need to bring this in tighter and make it more focused so that we are all looking in the same lens. And I, right now, the focus point of, of the referees is, is, is just way too broad. Um, I don't know how to execute it. <coughs> Personally, I, I've thought a lot about it. I, I would love to pose the question to you, Steve, as, as a coach. You know, we don't have the luxury right now in the referee ranks to, to try to come up with a game plan and, and execute that education to that referee. If you as a coach had a player that you gave some criteria to to execute and they kept continuing to fail, you have the luxury of sitting that player. Yeah. We don't have the luxury in the referee ranks of sitting a referee. And the, the thing I think referees need to think about is like, okay, if you've been told things and those things still keep coming up, right now these referees have the luxury in our sport because of a sheer numbers game you're still going to get assignments. Yeah. You're still going to get the opportunity to ref. That's never going to change. And, and I know that. But if you want to get better and, and you, you intentionally, deservingly want better games, then this focus and, and we all have to operate off of one lens has to happen because it's only going to make our sport better. And really, there's talk of how the rules have been changed to kind of dumb down the rules at multiple levels. And some people say, well, that's just because, you know, we have so many referees on so many different levels that by dumbing down the rules, it keeps it simpler for those referees to call the game. I'm here to tell you, it, nothing has changed. You still have referees all over the board. You still have referees under calling a game. I, it, it is difficult for me to show up to Junior Olympics and watch a referee get in trouble in a 12 and under water polo game. And it, and it really has to do with just lack of whistles. If we blew the whistle more and had an understanding and, and, and have some type of matriculation system that's in place to get this lens more focused so that we're all together, it could happen. Yeah. But you have to buy into the process. But there's also, in my opinion, and to be blunt, there has to be penalties for not buying into the system. For, for accountability reasons. Yeah. You know, if you, if you want to continue as a referee where you're at, that's fine. But if you're not going to buy into the system, then you're going to, at some point, and this is what we don't have in our sport uh, from a referee level, is an exit strategy. How, how do you get out or matriculate someone out of the sport or in some other facet who doesn't buy into the game plan that's being taught at the time? I don't have that answer. No, that's a really good point because I know we all know a referee or two from our areas that we look at and say, why is that guy still doing? Why is that mm -hmm. girl still doing this? So I'm going to move on to another question here. Go ahead. Uh, Breck Waney, um, he has a couple questions here. So I'm going to ask uh, one of these. Uh, well, two, I think these kind of go hand in hand. Um, do you think an expectation of more consistent signaling to explain calls could help minimize the tension between coaches and referees? And what is your approach to blowout situations in our sport? Um, even the collegiate level sees a large amount of blowout games. How does a referee approach that situation? When I first read that question, I thought he was talking about blowouts like fighting, but I, 
this is actually a really good no it topic is as well blowouts and how do you that, that's a philosophy thing that that, that, that it's a, it's good so let's let's um let, let's let's approach the first one first yeah signaling is a must signaling is a must right now from a referee the reason the flags were taken out of our hands is so that you could communicate with your hands what is going on with the pool however as a referee don't be so quick to signal what you see make the call once everyone's clear of what the call is now signal what you saw to minimize the dispute between either you and a coach or to signal to the stands or even to signal to a partner because this year i refereed a game and we didn't have headsets now headsets are becoming more prevalent in our sport and it's working out really well because referees can cross communicate live time of what each other sees and players being handed off from one area of water to another area of water. But in this particular game, we did not have headsets and I look, I hear the whistle and I'm focused on the center position and the ball is at the half distance line. And I look up and I, and the referee is making an exclusion call and, and there were two defenders and one offensive player. I had no idea what happened. I caught it out of the corner of my eye, but I really didn't know what happened. And he's excluding a defensive player. Now, from a numbers perspective, it looked weird. How did two defenders and one offensive player, and it ended up, and, and the two defenders were between the offensive player and the goal. So everybody was in the right position. So how did that end up as an exclusion? So I became confused as a referee. So I talked to my partner after the quarter was over, and I said, what you know what happened and and i noticed that it had kind of affected me a little bit because i wasn't sure if my partner was on the same page with me and he goes oh it, it was it was a conduct foul oh well had had i known that now that makes me change everything that, that i just perceived because now i know you're calling a foul of conduct but because of the way he whistled it it looked like a standard 20 second exclusion right yeah so not only are signals so important, and I, and I think that, that we need to be more prevalent in explaining what we call because of what we see. And, you know, coaches are 20 meters away. We have a different angle of it. Just cross-communicate that information of, hey, based on my angle, this is what I'm seeing, whether it be a hold, sink, pull back, push off. I do think as referees, though, boy, I mean, we can get specific, but we do allow the, we force the offense to take a lot. And as soon as the offense kind of gives the same amount back, I would say we as referees are quick to react to that instead of probably what the first one should have been. But I, I think if we had signaled everything that we see, it kind of diffuses the situation. Yeah. Now let's go into the second part, blowout games. At the FINA level, you cannot officiate any differently for a blowout game. And the reason is, is because every single goal matters. So yeah. you do not have the luxury at a FINA game to officiate any differently. And, not on, top, uh, and on top of that, if you officiate differently, you're going to know because yeah. they are going to tell you, you know, yes, it was an easy game, but Mr. Rozart, you decided not to call penalty here because why? It should have been a penalty, right? Now, <clears throat> at the FINA level, they do have uh, instant replay. So they are doing some of that at that level, which I think is good for our sport, especially uh, when it comes to fouls of conduct and things like that that can be caught on, off the edge. But I think that at the collegiate level, yes, do referees have a philosophy where they probably change a little bit? Yeah. I don't, and this is me speaking personally, 
I don't change that much for the team that's ahead. I, I still, they still have to execute what they're supposed to do. However, I am going to change my philosophy that if the team that is ahead is going to stay in a press situation and things of that nature, I still would like the other team a chance to play water polo. Yeah. So am I going to blow ordinary fouls quicker? Am I going to try and move the ball down the pool for them as a referee? Now, are they fouls? Yeah, but are they, would I have called them in a normal flow? I probably would have been more patient. That would be the only difference. It's just a timing thing. I'm calling them quicker as compared to what I normally would have just to allow this team to play some semblance of water polo and play an offense. And I think that's the difference. You cannot change your philosophies though. If it's, if a team is, is still being blown out and they're still in the wrong position and fouling someone from behind, you still have to call an exclusion foul regardless because your principles have to stay the same, no matter what happens. If it's 20 to two, you're still calling exclusions for the team that only has two goals based on principle. You have to keep calling the same thing and be consistent. Yeah. Um, I, okay. I'm going to go to the next one for the sake of time. I'm going to kind of rapid fire these. Sure. I'll be quick. Um, So this is from an email I just received. Um, I don't know who this is, but um, it starts off. This is a Gmail account that just was set up today. (laughs) (laughs) So it says no disrespect intended, which means just kidding. No, no, I'm just kidding. Exactly. No (laughs) No disrespect intended, but how does discussing philosophy help make the rule book easier to understand for coaches and easier to interpret for officials? Shouldn't the rule book be interpreted in a black and white format so everyone knows what to expect? Oh, wow. Should I take a guess who this was sent by? <laughs> yeah, so. Um, so for, first of all, I think everybody needs to understand, and, and I think this is, this is how you and I actually got into a conversation. Should this referee perspective be put in a public format so that parents and coaches have an understanding of how the referee arrives to a pool deck and what they're looking for. Because yes, in theory is, is water polo going to be black and white. Okay. In theory, that would be a perfect world. However, 90% of an athlete is gone. We don't see 90% of the athlete. Yeah. So you're asking us to officiate a sport of which we cannot see 90% of the athlete. That doesn't even make sense. So what you have to understand from a coach's perspective and a parent's perspective is that the referee is making decisions based on experience, based on movement of a player, how their hips are shifted in the water, what it looks like. You know, yeah, are we watching hands and and what's going on underneath? Yes. And if it's intentional and they're gaining an advantage, then yes, that has to be rectified. But I don't ever think at least in my lifetime, we will ever be able to make water polo so black and white to make everyone happy. What needs to happen, what truly needs to happen, is that we need to force the philosophy of the referee to be under one central lens so that we are all looking at the sport the same way. And then on top of that, once we have that solidified, make sure that those referees are making the calls that they're supposed to make. Because what's happening, in my opinion, is that everyone can say that we're trying to look through the same lens, but we have referees that still aren't whistling the fouls, but they're still getting good grades and they're still getting good games. Yeah. So 
the accountability that you talk about doesn't match up with the, 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 the words. The, the referee speaks one thing, but their actions are different. I, I like to say that I am the guy that actually talks the talk and walks the walk. I, I speak it and I practice it on the pool deck. I'm not perfect. I'm human. But I, what I say is what I preach and practice on a pool deck. And I think that the black and white portion of our sport is, is it would be very, very difficult. And I've heard the argument, hey, you know, if you just make it black and white, it's going to be three or four games of ugliness, but then everybody will get the feel and they'll adjust. Maybe. I, I don't know. We are, we're having trouble right now forcing referees to make calls. And until the accountability comes into play, even if you made the game black and white, the account accountability of those referees to be forced to make those calls in a black and white situation, I think is still going to be one of the bigger issues. Um, because if we just had that accountability now, I think the the sport and the lens that everyone is looking at our sport through would be much clearer. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, a couple more questions here. And I think this is a really, actually, a really, really good question uh, by Bre Breck uh, Waney. I hope I'm pronouncing that last name properly. Um, would you be in favor of having referees work in crews over the course of the season? Same two referees work together on games for a whole season rather than random pairings over the course of the season? So that's actually an interesting question. Um, it's happened at several NCAA championships. Mm. So uh, our part, we whether it was intentional or not, um, we found out after the fact that it was intentional, but um, that, that was one of the reasons that several NCAA championships that we would come together, work as a pair, and we stayed as a pair through the NCAA championship. Am I in favor of it? I do think it has some positives. However, it's fairly difficult in our sport. Um, it works for baseball, it works for football because they have the numbers. We just don't have the numbers. If we had the numbers, I think it would be fantastic to have that ability to go, okay, this year, Steve Rozart and Mike Goldenberg are going to work a set of eight games together and here they're eight games, you know? Um, I do think it would, could work for championship style formats where you could have a pair of referees or maybe even three work. I know JOs, and this was one of my recommendations. And, and when I was a head ref at JOs, we went to this format where we actually kept referees within the same age group, unless something egregious happened, then they were moved out of that age group. But we kept referees within the same age group and kept them together. Now, having them work as a pair is going to be much more difficult kind of already happens at JOs because of sheer numbers. You have two to three referees working at the same pool all day. Some of those referees are working 10 to 12 games a day. That's a whole nother speech. Um, and, and that's difficult in itself. It's very trying on a referee. Yeah. But the thing is, is I think that there is some advantages that can come out of that because you get a comfort level with a partner. You know exactly what they're going to call. You know when they're going to call it. I've repped a lot of games with a lot of uh, referees. But, for example, I'll use Alex Stankiewicz as an example. Um, sometimes I don't get to work with Alex all throughout the year, but then we end up at one tournament and then maybe an NCAA. But 
I already know what he's going to call. I've officiated so many games with him. I already know what his game looks like and I know where he's looking. And that comfort level for me has already been predetermined when I arrived because of, of my, uh, my experience with him. I think Breck in that there's a lot of positives that can come out of working consistently with the same partners, because if it's, a, a more senior partner with a newer referee, that newer referee gets to learn very quickly what the game is supposed to look like. So that actually helps. But at the same time, let's say you don't even have that situation. You just have two referees that work fairly consistently together. The pattern of behavior, usually the partner of two referees can rise fairly quickly as compared to one referee working with a smorgasbord of individuals because those two referees are constantly getting better based on evaluation and feedback from game to game. And so they're adjusting their game right away to go into the next one of what it's supposed to look like. And now here they are partnered up again in a perfect world. It would be great. Practicality of it is pretty difficult in our sport. Yeah. Okay. A couple of quick ones. Um, and I, I think I could answer this one. Does the scarcity of officials make referee accountability difficult to accomplish? But I would, my guess is yes. Um, because of the fact that we don't have, oh, you, you mentioned that earlier that they're still going to get assignments. Um, an anonymous person put, uh, how could I get started in refereeing? If I want to make some extra income in the summer, what would be step number one? Okay. Step number one, and uh, I think this is the most important thing, is get involved in your zone, okay? The first thing is, is that U.S. Water Polo is the educating entity of officials in the United States, period, hands down, okay? When you are going to high school or NCAA level officiating of, of water polo, you're fine-tuning your refereeing. But the basics and the core of where you learn and how to become a referee is with USA Water Polo. And that needs to be done. So get involved in your zone, contact your zone head referee, sign up, become a referee member. I know that the director of officials for USA Water Polo, Lavander Mangian, has been running uh, Zoom education calls and doing clinics online so that you can get certified. Get yourself involved, get some assignments. What normally they do is they will partner you with a mentor referee to start out and, and get you going. Obviously you're going to have to take a rules test and, uh, and things of that nature, but get you on the pool deck and get you officiating is the most important part in working with a mentor to mold a philosophy. Imagine that um, because you have to understand what you want as a referee to call, no call or things of that nature. Then you can make a decision to continue to work from there. If you want to work in the high school realm after that, you can continue to work at a high school realm. And I don't, I don't think a lot of people understand as a USA water polo referee, you can work 12 months of the year. A, um, that when I was a kid, that never happened. You always, uh, there were seasons. But then on the second part of it, mixed into that 12 months of USA water polo is collegiate and high school athletics. So you can go off and, and I live in San Diego. We do have referees that only work high school um, and that's their thing. That's fine. But I do think that you get better as a referee officiating USA water polo and officiating club athletics. And the reason I say that is because usually the parity is smaller at the, at the club level. High school athletics, there's a lot of parity. You see a lot of differences. 
as a referee to get better and to fine tune your timing and to recognize advantage and things of that nature, when you start to shrink the parity, then you actually get to see athletes competing at a much more consistent level. And that helps you as a referee timing wise and recognizing good styles of play. Awesome. Um, Connor uh, from Santa Barbara just logged on. Let's see here. Welcome, Connor. I got involved during the water polo Academy era and found that style of correspondence discussion course to be very helpful in developing both my coaching and officiating philosophies. How do you see the future of referee education and development of philosophy moving forward? How can we better collaborate between coaches and officials? And it's just a little background. So people who are listening, understand Connor was the head coach at Dos Pueblos high school for a long time. Can't remember the name of the school he's at right now, but uh, he's also been with Santa Barbara 805 since its inception. And he's also a, a pretty high level referee starting to get some pretty big assignments as well. So uh, a, another person with multiple uh, approaches um, to the game. So I, there's two questions that are on the Q and A and they actually kind of tie together one from Ian and one from Connor. Um, and I, and I think this ties it all together. What we're doing right now in a Zoom style environment is required. Um, I just became back on the board for the local referees association in San Diego because I could see the disconnect and the level of officiating start to, it, it wasn't what it was. And the first thing that we're gonna do is, and, and I always respected the football associations in San Diego. Every Friday night, they met at the same pizza joint after all the games were over. And they had like a chalk talk. And they all discussed in an open format what happened during their games. We don't have that luxury in water polo, but it needs to happen. We need to have off the deck talks. We need to share ideas. We need to share circumstances. Okay, you don't know how many times I had a particular game this year, um, which things went a little sideways, okay? And uh, it was a Santa Barbara Pepperdine game. I got more phone calls from referees after that game just to talk to me about how I handled it. Because I get, I, I have watched the video, but I haven't watched it with a fine-tuned comb to listen to my voice, but my voice is heard over the video. And one of the things that they said is, how did you stay so calm? And I said, because I can't change what's going on. I'm not diving in the water. I can't yeah. change what's going on with the athlete. The athlete was triggered and you have to accept the action of the athlete. Your job is to just simply sit back and observe now and handle, the, handle it appropriately within the rule book. And I think the thing is, is that we as referees need to have more of these discussions. For the fall season, hopefully we have a high school season here in, in San Diego. I hope to have a chalk talk every single week. You know, right now with regards to NFHS and to be in compliance in the state of California, I think you have to have a meeting every six to eight weeks. Well, I'm sorry. There's a lot that changes in yeah. six weeks. And that's water, a season, you know, that's a season. That's a whole water. season. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about, you know, and I would love to see Levon's doing an amazing job at USA water polo. He, he's having a lot of online environments, but I think we need to have deeper discussions. The entry level portion is good, but I think we have to get to the point in our sport where we're starting to separate newer referees from more experienced referees and not separate them to the degree that they're not involved. 
I would love to have a first year referee listen in on a conversation with seven to 12 experienced referees that have all gone to the Olympics and done NCAA championships. You can pick up valuable information, but what needs to happen is that those seven to 12 referees need to all get on the same call and all agree to agree on some very, you know, core principles. Like I said, penalty fouls during the SoCal tournament, there are 48 differences that I noticed. We, we've got to shrink that. There's got to be only like two or three, five at the most, but we, those nuances of, of just the minute details, timing, how they have to turn, things of that nature. Those are discussions that need to take place. And I think, and it's sad to say that a pandemic like this is going to force us into that environment to actually use the tools that we've had to use in the past six to eight weeks during this pandemic and make our sport much tighter and much more um, consistent so that we are looking through the, the, the same lens. Yeah. And so, you know, I know that one of the things that you've been doing personally and you and you and I have been going back and forth and I don't know if you're ready to announce that you want to, you know, you've been talking about doing a podcast uh, yourself and I, I don't know exactly the specific overall topic. It could be a bunch of different, sure. things, but sure. I, that's something that you kind of want to provide to the sport um, and the referees as well. Right. That's something that you, you kind of want to uh, spearhead. That's right. So uh, actually this coming Wednesday, we will knock off our first episode of the E-Ref podcast. Um, philosophy behind it is that, Hey, it's time to go into the electronic world. Let's see what's going on. What we do is, is I, I have decided as a referee that we need to have conversations. We need to have conversations like this and share what's going on within our sport. And it's not just our sport, but the concept of, of officiating is very dynamic. I have a lot of NFL referee friends. I have baseball umpire referee friends. I have basketball referee these guys all have similar mentalities when you approach a game hmm. and, and different facets that they use to prepare themselves to officiate a game. But on top of that, let's have some conversations with our friends from Europe, from South America, from Asia, from Australia. Let's have some conversations. Of, hey, what's refereeing like over there? What does it take a rookie referee in Australia to go from zero to the, your national championship and have these conversations so that we're all sharing in the same entity as to what it takes for a referee to become an elite level referee. When I started, I never imagined that I'd be officiating an Olympic games. I set goals for myself. My first goal was, okay, I started, I did not start refing uh, U S water polo. I actually started in a high school season and went through the men's high school season. I did not get chosen for uh, CIF championships but I worked the table, I did different things. And then I continued to, at that time, there was not a uh, women's high school uh, water polo in San Diego County. Um, so we went right into a club season. I worked a full club season. I did everything I could to, to better myself as a referee. But I think we have to share those ideas in what your goals are as a referee. I had set little goals for myself. Okay, I want to, I want to referee a high school championship game. Okay, now I want to ref JC States. Okay, from JC States, I wanted to ref the SoCal tournament at the NCAA level. Or re I started with, I just wanted to ref an NCAA yeah. season tournament. And then you just keep setting little markers for yourself. And finally, one of the markers that I had set, I, I really wanted to try and do what I could to become an Olympic referee. And, and that's hard because there's a lot of outside influences 
that have nothing to do with you as a referee um, because there's so many things at play when it starts coming because you're, you're an extension of a team. And so you have to be the right fit for the team and we have, you have to be that right person. So uh, at the Olympic level, when you start getting, there's only seven FINA referees in the United States, they make sure that that referee that's traveling with that team is right for that sequence. And FINA is making sure that that referee has the right caliber of qualifications to be at that event. And so that, that gets a little more difficult, but um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that that is the vision of the EREF podcast is to disseminate information, have discussions like this and make sure that, uh, and I know we're going to have you on Steve, so you're going to be able to share your knowledge <laughs> and all the great stories you have as a coach uh, of, uh, and, and really just kind of narrow in the dynamic. What are coaches looking at from referees? What's this relationship supposed to look like? Because I think if we can mitigate the unknown, which is really the issue is, is yeah. that there's all these unknown factors, which make you frustrated because you can't understand what we're thinking. But if we can mitigate how the process of the education of the referee was matriculated into that individual and their thought process of what it's going, maybe it will help you as a coach go, oh, I know why he's probably thinking that way right now. And might help the parents too, to be honest with you. That it might, is, it might give them a little probably bit of one of the biggest too. thing. Yeah. Um, I, uh, after the... Um, after the advantage role podcast, I got an email from Philip Bauer, the uh, director of referees for water polo Australia. And so I'd love to connect yeah. you guys. And he said he was going to be on my podcast. Absolutely. I'm I know. Sure Phil. Yeah. I'm sure he'd love to be on yours as well. Uh, he had some really good things to say about the advantage role and, the, and that podcast. So I was excited uh, to, to that. He reached out to me. Um, I also, if I could suggest as I wrap this up, uh, maybe get in touch with someone like a Jack Coker, um, who is doing some water polo clips, uh, video clips and things like that. I think he would be a really good partner, uh, to have in terms of, you know, for us coaches seeing some video clips and things like that. Like, uh, I know USA water polo or the coaches education, referee education is doing, you make the call. I think that's a really, right. uh, really, really important thing. So, um, go ahead. I think that'd be awesome. And I, and I think that that aspect of our sport is kind of like just just the tip of the iceberg now let's have some deeper conversations on those video clips as to why why are you looking at it that way why is the referee looking at it this way and why does our philosophy mold itself to be that way yeah and and that's what i think and i think the more information that's out there definitely uh, on all counts helps parents um, because it is sometimes it can be a difficult sport to understand if you're just walking in off the street. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, Steve, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being on and taking the time to share your knowledge with all the coaches on, um, you know, it, this is a big deal for me. It's a big deal for the other coaches and, uh, you just bring so much insight and professionalism into the sport and, uh, you've always treated me. I mean, I'm saying this from personal experience. I mean, whether it's refereeing or just us sitting at the pool on the pool deck, you've always treated me with a lot of respect and I have a lot of respect for you and, and your wife and everything that you guys have done uh, as referees. So uh, congratulations on all your success so far. And um, I hope I could have you on again 
uh, soon and just let me know when I can be on your, your podcast. I'd love to absolutely. Be I look forward to it. And then I can't wait to, I get to officiate my first game at that brand new pool. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, man. Well, take care and thank you everybody for Appreciate being on. It. I'll be releasing this as an episode uh, later on in the week. Thank you.